everybody, and welcome to Ministry Mondays with Meg. I'm Meg. Um, I am Reverend Meg Biddle, National Coordinator of Ministry Life uh, here at ABHMS, the American Baptist Home Mission Societies. Um, I am ABC Clergy, and it is my joy to welcome you to the to the show today. Uh, Ministry Mondays is just a place for people to tell their stories um, about ministry because ministry occurs far more often than um, what's going on, you know, in those beyond the behind the traditional walls of the church on Sundays. So this is just a place to come and and uh, learn more um, about how people serve. I am very excited today um, for my guest. My guest, um, welcome Reverend Lakeisha Womack, who is founder of Rethinking Church Strategies. Hey, Lakeisha. Um, she is also the executive director of Re the Rethinking Church Foundation, editor-in-chief of Ministry Matters magazine. She is an ordained deacon in the African Methodist Episcopal Zion Church, and I think I got everything, maybe. Oh, and she's also like author of like 20 books. I mean, <laughs> so um, Google her. She's like really awesome. Um, Lakeisha, welcome. Thank you for being here. Oh, thank um, you so much for you? having me. Um, and, and folks, if you happen to be watching us live, uh, feel free if, if you have a question for Lakeisha to like pop it in the chat, uh, you're welcome to do so. But um, so Lakeisha, for people who don't know you, don't know about all the wonderful things that you do, will you um, introduce yourself, say a little bit about you and what you do? Yeah, well, thanks again for having me on your show. Um, I am Reverend Lakeisha Womack. Um, I call myself now like a serial entrepreneur because I do a lot of things. And I think the way that you met me um, is through my consulting. And so for the past almost 20 years, I've been a business and marketing consultant, um, helping be people to start and grow their businesses, um, helping with marketing strategies. Also, I'm doing some church growth consulting. So I go into local churches, which is where I love to work the most and um, work with congregations to help them rethink how they engage with their congregations and their communities. And through all of that, like, you know, I um, believe in like teach what you know. And so I understand that there are a lot of people who may never get to meet me. And so that's where like the writing really came in. It's like, so for people who don't come to a workshop or who don't get a chance to interact with me, like there's a book for that. And so that's one of the reasons why I love to write, um, love to blog when I have time, but really like to share knowledge. I love that sharing knowledge. Um, and th that was like a commercial once upon a time, like there's a whatever, there's an app for that, or there's a whatever for that. There's a book for that. <laughs> exactly. There's a book for That's that. Yes. Yeah. Don't know me or want to know about this thing? There's a book for that. You know, <laughs> That's fantastic. Um, I guess I guess that is why you're good at, at what you do. Um, so speaking of being good at what you do, somebody who's written 20 books or whatever, it's serial entrepreneur. Um, one, entrepreneur is a hard word to say sometimes. Um, but... <laughs> So how did you get started in all of this? Like, did you just wake up one day and you're like, I want to, I want to do this? 
Um, kind of, sort of. So I am a mom by choice. So I have a 17-year-old son. And when I decided to become a mom, I was very intentional about how I wanted to parent him. And I'm a single mom, and I knew I wanted to stay home with my son, but I didn't have stay-at-home money. And so I started my consulting business. And so, again, teach what you know. So in my previous life, I had been a financial advisor. I had been a retail store manager. And so I kind of combined all of that and said, hey, like, I can help people who, you know, need help with their businesses um, because of the business background that I have. And so while I'm staying home with my son, I can help other people with their businesses. So um, over the past 17 years, as my son has grown, my business has grown. But in the beginning, like I tell people, I would only work when he was sleeping. Then I would only work when he went to school. And now that he's, you know, a big boy and doing his own thing, like mama can, you know, be a big girl. And now the businesses are doing their own thing. But I had the, um, I guess the benefit of being able to grow slowly, but that was also kind of a curse because I was doing like a lot of different things. And in the past year, some people have noticed, they're like, oh my goodness, you know, you're not on social media anymore. But it was just like, I was doing so much. Like I really had to take a step back to say like, all right, what are we really going to focus on? So it wasn't like, you know, a thing over here and a thing over here and a thing over there, but really like taking a step back to focus in. So that's the season I'm in right now. So was it, was it always like, or did it start as secular businesses or has it always had a church, um, you know, angle to it? No, it really started as secular businesses. And then um, probably like three, four years into my business, I was going through a rebranding and I started thinking about like, all right, you know, who do I want to be known as? What do I want to be known for? And I think at that time I had accepted my call to ministry. And, you know, people say, you know, don't talk about politics and don't talk about religion and business. And my first job was actually as a campaign manager. So politics has always had a thread in what I do, which informs a lot of like my economic justice work. And then, you know, answering my call to ministry is like, all right, so ministry is a part of it. So then it's like, all right, so what is my brand? And then I think that, you know, during that rebranding period, I just said, okay, you know, politics and religion, like, are a part of what I do, and just, you know, accepted that, and my, all of my clients know, like, I pray for them, like, you know, sometimes, like, you know, we have difficult decisions to make, and so it's like, hey, you know, let's talk to God, let's see what God has to say about it, and that's a very unconditional approach, I think, for a lot of business consultants, because, you know, they try to, like, keep religion out of it, but, I had one client just yesterday, you know, she had been going through a really difficult season. And so in our call last week, it was like, all right, you know, let's pray. Let's see what, you know, God has to say. And she um, she did it. And she caught me with like a real like breakout story about, you know, how God had answered some things that we have been praying about and talking about. So I truly believe in the power of prayer in our businesses and in all areas of our life. And so it became a part of the work that I do. So as this work that you do, are, are you at a place now where you can be selective? Like, I don't believe in this project. You know, this isn't my thing kind of thing. I mean, do you tell people no? I, I guess, but not really. Um, and I think it's because, like, you know, 
I want to help everybody, but I am learning that I can't help everyone. So I'm learning how to say no. So I can't say that that's something that I do, but it's definitely something that I'm learning. Like as I'm trying to set more boundaries and become more productive, it is about figuring out like what I can do and what I can't do. So that has been a struggle. I would say in the past six months is just figuring out like what belongs on the list and what doesn't belong on the list. And um, it's not easy. I would imagine it's not, I mean, I, I'm having one, having written all those books, um, just doing all the things for you to sit down and go, I'm absolutely exhausted. Um, and so how do you, how do you sit there and go, okay, this, this is some, somewhere I want to invest myself, my time, my energy, and, but not this thing. I'm, I'm, I'm okay with giving that up. What's that kind of process look like? Um, again, it's hard, but I think so. One of the things that I've had to figure out is like, do I have to be involved? And so in a lot of cases, you know, we tend to have a hero complex where it's like only I can do it. And so recognizing that there are some things that like I can do and I have like a special skill set that might be helpful in that situation. But then there's some instances where it's like, all right, someone else can do this and they can probably do a better job than me. And a lot of times like we don't have the humility to recognize that like we don't have to be the person. And so just like taking that step back to say like, do I have to be the person? And sometimes like I don't have to be the person. And so, you know, I might recommend like, hey, you know, I can't do this, but you know, here are like some other people who might be a good fit for you. Um, but it is like, it's, it's hard because, you know, when you want to help people, you want to help everybody. And, you know, sometimes like you end up overextended. And like you said, like you have to rest and you have to have time to replenish yourself. And I'm still a mom to a teenager who like I thought would need me less at this point in his life, but kind of needs me a little bit more, but in a different way. So um, it's been a lot of adjusting to figure out like, all right, how do I remain present for this person that I've been here for like 17 years and I can't just be like, all right, you're on your own now and then be present for myself and be present for, you know, my community and my friends and my family and still like do all the work. So I wish I could say I had it figured out. And maybe once I figure it out, like that might be book number 21. Like, you know, how do you do all the things um, and still maintain your sanity? But um, I don't know yet. So I would read that one. I mean, <laughs> me do all the things. And, and I guess chapter one would be you don't, you know, right, right. Yeah. Um, yeah. spoiler alert, folks, you don't, uh, <laughs> you can't do all the things and, and maintain your sanity. Uh, so all this was really born out of the, the mom thing. That's how that, that's your why when people are like, why, why would you do this? Um, was all because I might, because I have a kid and, and I choose to be a mom and, yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. how it all started. Like the ministry part is a little bit different. Um, so when I decided to have my son, I left Nashville and moved back to Alabama, small town, Southern Alabama. I think it's like 8,000 people in the whole County. Mm -hmm. And uh, my mom's like very involved in Christian education. And so, and I tell the story all the time, like she would go to like afternoon services. So it wasn't enough for us to go to service in the morning, but we had to go to at least one afternoon service, sometimes two. And the only thing that kept me going was like, I knew there was going to be food. So people who know me know I love food. 
So I knew there was going to be like some fried chicken and somebody was going to bake a cake. So I was like, you know what? If I can get food out of this, like I'll stick with it. But as I was like going to all these church services and traveling around the church, I noticed a lack of young adult presence in our church. And so being, I think I was in my late 20s, early 30s at the time, um, I ended up becoming a representative on a national committee in our denomination for our young adults. And so it gave me an opportunity to travel the church even more and to start, you know, understanding like, well, why aren't there young adults in the church and what is it that we're missing? And so that's kind of where the rethinking church was birthed out of is like, we need to rethink how we're engaging our congregations and communities if we're truly serious about growing our churches. And so that's moving from like, you know, programs to ministry, moving from being insular into, you know, being more external. So how do we rethink what we're doing so that we can have impact in our communities and not just do like service projects and then wonder why people don't come. So it's a lot of, you know, being transformed by your mindset. So that's where the rethinking comes in. Um, and then also, you know, understanding like how do we love our neighbor? Like, you know, the love of Christ is supposed to be an unconditional love. It's not, well, I love you as long as you're straight or I love you as long as you dress this way or I love you as long as like, our job is just to love. Like, it's our job is not to put conditions on that love. And, um, you know, and a lot of people were just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then when you look at, like, the work that they do, you have to sometimes say, you know, you have some internal biases against the communities that you're trying to serve. So how are those things, like, impacting your ability to develop relationships and to truly love? So we have a lot of fun, you know, in the sessions. We have some hard conversations, but... Um, most of the churches that I work with, I truly feel like they're better after, you know, we have these conversations. Yeah, I, I like this, this is my heart, like right, right here, you know, like uh, all is all. And um, if, if we're going to be the church, then be the church, be the church that loves, not loves with conditions, not love as long as you're like us. Right. Uh, um, you know, come to our church and, uh, and, 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 and we'll love you as long as you change to look like you're really <laughs> you know, kind of thing. So um, I, I really appreciate that. Is, is it, um, do they wait until they're like, do churches tend to wait until they are in huge trouble or do we have churches that are recognizing, Hey, ministry is changing. Um, we can't quite figure it out. We need somebody to help us along. Or is it a both hand? Um, it's typically churches who recognize that they need to change because honestly, by the church reaches the point where um, there's little to no hope, they don't typically have the resources to hire a consultant, which is, you know, really sad. And, you know, I would love to have some type of grant program that would allow me to go into, you know, those churches that really need the help. And so for me, that has been kind of like the struggle with the work because as much as I love working with the churches that have the budget, they also have the budget to make different decisions. Whereas those churches that are struggling and don't have the budget, they also don't have the budget to hire help. And so, you know, I'm a firm believer that most of us are out here just doing the best that we can. Like, I don't, I don't think that people intentionally, you know, run churches or, you know, um, watch their members deplete and, you know, don't want to do anything about it. But a lot of times they don't know what to do about it. And so they end up doing what they've always done, which is, hey, we're going to have a revival or, hey, we're going to invite people to come to the church. But there's no real 
um, strategy to identify, well, what are we missing? Because even if we're having a revival, even if we're inviting people to come, there's some reason why they might come, but they're not staying. There's some reason why people are coming, but they're not joining. joining. So at what point do we do like that type of work? And a lot of times the churches who don't have the resources aren't able to really do that work. So that's one of the reasons why we have a workbook on rethinking church, right? And the strategies to help them have those guided conversations. And it's like, you know, $10 for them to buy the workbook. And I intentionally made it inexpensive because I want people to have access to the knowledge. So even if you can't hire a consultant, like go on Amazon, you know, buy a copy of the workbook for, you know, each of your leadership members. And then you all sit down and go through those steps. And it's like an action plan. Like, all right, here's what we need to look at. Like, what are we going to do differently? What are some strategies? And then work within your team. But a lot of people just continue doing what they've been doing, expecting a different result. And we all know that's the definition of insanity. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, I've been a pastor at two churches <laughs> I know, I know. Or, or there's that that belief that, hey, we got a young pastor that's got three kids. You know, that's gonna change. And and you and you heard it in seminary, but then when it becomes you, you're yeah, just yeah. like, oh my gosh, I'm a thing. Like I am. Seminary <laughs> <laughs> story. Um, right. When they look at you and with in the most loving way possible, say, we really thought that you would be enough. And yeah. you're just going, oh my word! These people have pinned all their hopes on on a person um, yeah. instead of you know. Um, I think so much of it is like the whole ministering with the community and not just to, um, mm -hmm. and 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 folks understanding that there's a big difference uh, there between the with and the to and. Um, yeah, and I think for a lot of churches, it's a culture shift um, because, mm -hmm. and I tell people, like, the work that we do is a spiritual work. So when I walk into your church, like, I can feel the spirit of your church. I can mm -hmm. feel, like, you know, if there's harmony here, I can feel if, you know, there's, like, some tension somewhere. Like, you don't always know how to identify it, but you know when you feel something that just doesn't feel right. And when mm -hmm. people are looking for where do I want my soul to grow, they're not going to intentionally plant their soul somewhere that they don't find peace. And so that's why we have to, you know, be really intentional about the culture that we create in our church. Like, are we creating an environment and an atmosphere where people come in and are like, wow, like, I feel peace here. This is where I want to grow. And for, you know, a lot of churches, I'm like, you know, you guys have to do some pregame. Like, I know, like, y'all, like, the audience, like, y'all probably didn't go to the club, but I used to go to the club. And before we would go to the club, we were pregame. So that's when you have some drinks at home. So that by the time you get to the club, like, you're ready to party. But you got to have some pregame before you come to church. Like, you need to listen to some gospel music, have your devotional time. Mm -hmm. So when you get to church, like, you're ready to worship. Like, you shouldn't be waiting for the choir to, you know, get you in the mood. You shouldn't be waiting for the preacher, the preacher word to get. Like, you should be ready to worship when you walk in. And when we create that type of atmosphere, then we get, we attract more people. And then it makes doing ministry easier because now you have a community within your church that's reflective of the community outside your church. And you have more voices at the table to discuss, like, well, what are the needs of the community and how do we go out? and do that but when we're just sitting there like waiting to be inspired then it's like well who do we inspire 
I, I'm just thinking like, yeah, they sit, you sit in the, in the, in the pulpit or you sit in the pews and you're, you're singing, fill my cup, Lord. Um, I lift it up, Lord. When, when we should already, when we should come in, my cup is overflowing and oh my gosh, well, how that, that just changes your mindset when you, when you frame it that way, that, um, the, the pregame, I mean, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a beautiful thought. I really, I really, really like that, that man, you went in and you're, and you're prepared for worship and you're in that frame of mind, not all, yeah, I get sometimes life really is hard and, and, and there's all that stuff, but not all the time is there, or let's right. hope there's all the, all the, all the time. How did this go with the pandemic? I mean, did, were you involved in the, I mean, was the rethinking church people reaching out a lot during the pandemic? Well, actually, Rethinking Church was birthed during the pandemic. So okay. prior to the pandemic, it was a workshop that I was doing. And I think I wrote the first iteration of the workbook pre-pandemic. And then, um, so just to back up a little bit, in 2016, I was invited to present for the World Methodist Conference. And my topic was using social media for global outreach and evangelism. And so I have like this epiphany that for the first time using technology, we could truly evangelize to all nations. Like just sitting at home in front of your computer, you could fulfill the Great Commission. And so I was excited about that message, went back to churches like, hey, you know, digital discipleship, which for me is more than just putting out messages. But how do you actually disciple people using technology? How do you build relationships? How do you, you know, put people on like reading plans like a lot of people have now with the Bible app? How do you have, you know, um, worship experiences and teaching experiences online? Because we make the assumption that a lot of people don't come to church because they're lazy or they're not interested. But you have people who are homebound. You have people who are caring for someone who's homebound. You have people who may not have transportation. So there are tons of reasons why people are not engaging with our churches. But we just make assumptions about why they're not. And so excited about this message. And I went to so many churches and they're just like, no, you know, we don't need to be online. Facebook is the devil. And, you know, really just <laughs> we're not accepting of the message. And then the pandemic hits and everybody's like, hey, you know, we need to set up a Facebook page because now we have to stream our message. And so I feel like they still didn't get it because now it's just about talking to people. So similar to the example that you use, it's like, all right, now we're just putting out content. We're just pushing our content. But then there was no engagement. So how do you actually engage people now that you're putting your content in this digital format, which is where digital discipleship came from? And so we decided to host a conference. So we hosted a virtual conference. Um, I think it was like four days. We probably had about 60 speakers talking about ministering in the pandemic. Um, it was an amazing experience. And everybody was like, all right, like, what's next? And I was like, wait, what do you mean? What's... Like, I was just planning on doing this one event. But our Facebook community has grown um, really engaged. And I know some of them are watching this like, yeah, when are you coming back? Because, you know, I have been on hiatus for, you know, a few months, but working on, you know, what does the next iteration of Rethinking Church look like? And how can we really have an impact? Because I found myself even last year just doing a bunch of stuff because it was like, oh, yeah, you know, let's do, you know, book studies. Let's do this. Let's do that. But it wasn't having an impact. And so now I'm trying to figure out 
where do we really want to have an impact and then how do we do that work in a way that um, is not conference driven because I feel like people go to conferences and summits and events and they're like oh yeah that checks the box and I'm like no because the work that comes after so how do we curate events that have work afterwards so that people can actually see the change so again don't know what that looks like just yet but that's what we're working on so not just the content the application what you right. take home what you what did you what did you get out of what you just did you didn't just show up for the t-shirt or for the whatever um no i like that i like that um it's a great it's a great question to, to ask people is Okay, now that you've gone through this thing, where where do you where do you see God leading you? Where wow, uh, you you're just like this fountain, this wealth of <laughs> um, of of information and inspiration, really. Um, and 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 I hope that that you are encouraged by others that that you have the opportunity to to work with because. Um, yeah, it really does um, bring me a lot of hope for for the future of the church to go. Okay, we've got we've got the Lakeisha of the world here going. There's still there's still more more work to be done. Just, yeah, you know, yeah. Um, um, I really appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, so I um, I know that that we're kind of like wrapping up. Is there a favorite part of your job that, that you do when you go out? Um, is, is it the people? Is, is that what keeps you doing? What keeps you doing what you're doing? I think it's definitely the people. And the, the part that I think I enjoy the most is being a resource for people. Um, because so many people have to back up. So because I've been a consultant for almost 20 years, like I've seen a lot of different things. Like I worked on a lot of different types of projects. And a lot of times like people kind of get stuck and they think they're like, oh my goodness, like this is this major obstacle. And so I always tell people like, you know, well, tell me what your problem is. Like tell me what the issue is. And I probably have some base knowledge that can help you get over that thing that you're dealing with. And so I think that's what I enjoy the most. Like hearing people's problems and helping them come up with solutions to solve it. Um, but then that's also, you know, as we said before, like the double-edged sword, because then like I take on so much. And so it's like, all right, as much as I love this, like being like selective about like, all right, what spaces do I go into and share this knowledge that I know will have an impact um, and not just, hey, like people want you to come and like talk about, you know, these, you know, different ideas but then like nothing's gonna happen afterwards. So really doing more assessing like, all right, where can I go into spaces? And I know that if I share, like we're gonna see some measure of change, not even like success, but just change because sometimes like success is like, you know, 10 years down the road, but are we on the path to that change or success? Like that must be the, the hard part, which, you know, I'm, I'm sure it must be that, that the change happens, what do they say? It's more like turning an ocean liner than a, <laughs> a rowboat, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. Like we did this thing, so we're we're all the people, and, right, and, right, right. and everything better, and all of that, and um, because change is hard, and um, it imagine that must be though rewarding when when a group does come back and says, "Hey, let us tell you 
about this thing that God has done. Um, um, so uh, have, do you have one of those like great moments like that? that oh, you? yeah. Yes, so there's one church in um, New York, um, Reverend Dr. Brandon McLaughlin is the pastor, and I had been um, a mentor for him and his wife for some years before they were assigned the church, and when he went there, he called me to come in and do some leadership development training with them, and they were dealing with a lot of different issues that, you know, really felt overwhelming for them, and um, we were able to come together and have some, you know, real conversations about the changes that needed to happen. And they started making those changes. And I just talked to him, I think, like last week. And he was just telling me about like all the great works that, and that's one of their hashtags, like great works, all the great works that, you know, are happening in their community just because their members were open to doing things differently and rethinking how they were doing church. So their church is growing. They were, you know, thriving during the pandemic because we had talked about the digital discipleship. They set their website up. They had a Facebook presence. So they were doing like exercise classes on Saturday using Zoom throughout the pandemic. They were finding some really innovative ways to keep their community connected. And so they haven't missed a beat. And um, he's definitely like one of many like success stories, but the one that definitely comes to mind. Um, so as we kind of wrap up, um, I, I am going to ask the joy question. So that's coming in just a moment. Um, <laughs> But I want to make sure that that if people uh, want to find out more information from you, is the best way is to reach out through the Rethinking Church Strategies website. Yep. Is that yep. is that the best way? So, yep. RethinkingChurchStrategies.com. Um, if you want to, to reach out to Lakeisha um, and are interested in finding out more, um, also Google her. But everything she's done is is on there, and it's really amazing. And I'm. I'm, I'm a little fangirl, so. Um, um, so now now for, for my favorite part, the joy question. So think about everything that you do. What brings you joy? Being a mom. Like I absolutely, absolutely love being a mom. Um, my son is so much like me in so many different ways. And so it's kind of interesting seeing yourself outside of your body. But um, he's very like, you know, headstrong and decisive and um, just has a very um, strong sense of himself. And I feel blessed to be his custodian. Um, mm -hmm. I tell people, you know, as a parent, I don't see myself as like, you know, this authoritarian, authoritarian um presence in his life, but I'm here to like provide him with guidance to help him with like decision making to, you know, build his critical thinking skills. And, you know, sometimes we get it right. Sometimes, you know, I'm just like, wait, what happened? Um, but just to be on like this journey with him and watching the person that he's becoming, like that is truly my joy. And to be able to um, structure my schedule around being his mother. Um, my first priority is, you know, of course, God, but my second priority is definitely like him and making sure that he's whole, healthy and happy. So um, doing that, even when, you know, some days I might want to strangle him, but most days like, <laughs> we're, we're good. <laughs> most days are good. So, you know, that's what they do. I have three of them. So I get those days that you. Yeah, you're, like, yeah. you're just like, wait, like, 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 can I let them walk home? Because. <laughs> 
Yeah. I cannot imagine having three. So, you know, I'm going to send out some extra prayers for you on that one. Well, I have appreciated this time with you so much. Um, this is my favorite part of, of my job, and it really does uh, bring me joy. Uh, for those who are watching, um, my guest today has been Reverend Lakeisha Womack, founder of Rethinking Church Strategies. And uh, we'll just one more time with her website there. Um, if you'd like to watch more episodes of Ministry Mondays with Meg, uh, you could find, find me on YouTube um, at Ministry Mondays with Meg. Um, and I'm also on Instagram. Same thing, at Ministry Mondays with Meg. I know, like genius, right? <laughs> so, um, I also want to say thank you to ABHMS uh, for letting me find something um, that, that brings me such joy and, and to share other people's stories with other people. Um, and we will be back next Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern time um, with our next episode. So thank you for watching. And Lakeisha, again, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thanks for watching. <laughs>